Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is the mica scandal and how has it affected homeowners? The Celtic tiger still rears its infamous head every so often in Irish life, but for thousands of homeowners across the country, it actually still lives with them. Not just a constant nagging presence, but a, a true, true fear. Those families wanted and perhaps needed to remind the rest of us and our politicians what it is like to live in a house built with defective blocks. Those blocks which contain the mineral mica are cracking and crumbling around them. The families gathered in their thousands on the 15th of June in Dublin city centre, coming from mostly the northwest and west of the country, and they were calling for a 100% redress scheme so they can repair or rebuild their homes. Today's episode of The Explainer is brought to you by the Good Information Project as the team there of reporters and editors has been looking at housing over the past four weeks in the latest cycle. As well as looking at possible solutions to the current crisis, they've also delved into topics like Ireland's planning system and some of the problems of the past, like building regulations. Our wee girl, she's 11 and she's been reared in a mica house. That's all she's ever known. And she leaves the room now when we talk about mica and and you do your best and and you don't want to talk about it, but that helps, We, we do. That's all we talk about. <laughs> that was Josephine Kelly speaking to Michelle Hennessy for the Good Information Project, explaining the devastating impact Micah has had on her family. Michelle joins me today alongside Brian Whelan, producer and project manager. Thanks for joining, guys. Brian, can you tell us a little bit more about this latest installment of the Good Information Project? Yes, Sinead. Obviously, at the start of every cycle of the Good Information Project, we start by reaching out to people and asking them, about what they want to know or ask them to share their stories or experiences. And it was quite notable this time, the level of distressing stories, the level of just general distress people are in when it comes to housing. And that's not just young people who are stuck renting or people who can't afford a mortgage. There's also a significant amount of people who in the last housing crash 10, 12 years ago, lost their homes then and have been renting since. Um, and there's been a lot of people sort of sharing those experiences of what it's like to sort of be middle-aged or getting slightly older and to be locked out of the housing market. Um, it's, it's been a real eye-opener. Yeah, and as I said, like the range of topics is so huge that you've been able to delve into quite a lot. It's been a longer cycle than usual. We're kind of heading into our fifth week now. Um, what's next for the Good Information Project? Well, the next topic is one that I think flows really well out of housing and that's uh, public transport, because repeatedly throughout the housing cycle, when we've been speaking to politicians, when we've been speaking to experts, it's clear that it's not an issue that stands alone. It's one that's related to a lot of ideas around urban planning, uh, what cities are for, um, how we connect uh, commuter areas or rural areas to cities, to places where people actually work. Um, And so we're gonna be looking quite extensively at public transport. Yeah, definitely one one feeds into the other for sure. Thanks so much, Brian, for bringing us up to date on the Good Information Project. And now back to Micah. Michelle, before we go any further, we need to explain what Micah actually is. So micas are a group of minerals that are found in rock, including the rock that's taken from quarries and used to manufacture concrete blocks that then go into houses. So in the case of thousands of homes in Donegal and a small number in Mayo, Muscovite mica is contained in the building blocks that was used to construct the houses. Now, mica has the ability to absorb and store water and in high quantities, it can result in disproportionate amounts of water in the blocks. You do not want significant amounts of mica in the walls of your home. Why would it be added to construction material? Like what's the impact of it? My understanding is that it's not unusual for quarries to have these kinds of minerals in the rocks. Now, it may just be part of the quarry or a part of the quarry has higher quantities of it. 
And again, from what experts have told me, it's also not unusual for small quantities of these kinds of minerals to make it into the concrete blocks. The problem here is that it's not small quantities, it's larger quantities. Now, a 2017 expert panel report on this issue noted that estimates suggest the presence of 1% muscovite mica causes a reduction in the concrete strength by 5%. And it has a relatively poor bond strength with cement paste, so that's what's causing the issues here. Significantly higher percentages of mica were found in the homes in Donegal and Mayo. The highest I've heard is of 36%. Now that's versus the 1% that would be okay to have. Uh, but I know of a good few people impacted who've been told the level is 16 or 17%. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, th- that would be really frightening to be told. And the presence of this mineral has caused large cracks to open up in the impacted properties. People will probably have seen the photos. If they haven't, we have lots of them in our articles on, on this on the journal. Uh, in some cases, you can see these large gaps, particularly around window frames, that people can really just put their full hand right into. So we're not talking about a few hairline cracks in your external walls. This is much more serious than that. A lot of us would have heard about pyrite. This is different to pyrite, is it? Yeah, mica and pyrite are different, but we are seeing similar issues recently with homes containing pyrite. So people will remember the pyrite issues a few years ago. The government set up a remediation scheme for homeowners who were impacted by that. In that case, the pyrite was used in the backfill under the foundations of the homes. But in a number of homes in Mayo that we've been talking about recently, pyrite was found in the concrete blocks in the walls rather than the backfill in the foundation. Now, pyrite is a form of iron sulfide and in large quantities and in the presence of oxygen and water, it can expand. And that's what causes the significant structural damage in homes. That 2017 expert panel report that I mentioned looked at 17 Mayo properties and the presence of pyrite was consistently reported. It said the technical reports generally concluded the material used in manufacturing of the blocks was unsound and was not suitable for that use because of its potential to cause further deterioration of the blocks. And I mentioned the Celtic tiger there in my introduction, but if we turn back the clock, when were these homes impacted by mica? When were they built? With most of the people that I've spoken to, their homes were built in the early noughties. To them, I mean, they seemed like perfectly solid homes. One man that I spoke to, Carl Murta, actually described it as his, his wife's dream home. They, they drove by it. They live in, in Donegal. Uh, they drove by it one day when it was under construction. And, and you know, she said... God, look at that house. And, and they thought that they were moving into their, their dream home. Some people built the homes themselves. Uh, others bought from a builder when they were finished. A lot of these homes are one-off properties rather than housing estates. And was there any indication at the time that mica was being used? Is that something you'd even know if you were building it yourself or if you were buying from a builder? Well, none of the homeowners that I've spoken to had even heard of mica at the time. And it wasn't until years later that the issues became apparent. I mean, the problem here in most cases relates to a poor quality product used to build the homes. Interestingly, in that expert panel report, concerns were raised about market surveillance of construction products. It noted that during the period the homes were built, the building control authorities didn't have the technical resources in-house to test construction products, which may have been non-compliant. And it also pointed out that all enforcement activity was performed within existing local authority budgets. Now, while the report said it didn't consider it was reasonable to expect that the building control authorities could have prevented the problem from occurring, It advocated for more meaningful on-site inspections and enforcement, and it also recommended that market surveillance authorities be sufficiently resourced with dedicated units which would have the expertise in the quarrying sector to provide effective enforcement across the country. When did the problems first emerge? You've explained the fissures in the wall and we've seen those photos. When did those literal cracks start happening? 
There seems to be about a 10 year gap between the construction and the very serious structural issues. And people have spoken of first noticing those issues five years on. But after that 10 year mark, the damage seems to be quite extensive. And that significantly wet freezing cold weather in Donegal during 2009 and 2010, those winters, is believed to have contributed. Now, that expert panel was of the opinion that if the concrete blocks became saturated in the outer leaf, that's the most external wall, and then were subsequently subject to repeated freezing and thawing, the water in the blocks would expand as it froze and destabilise them. And while those 2009 and 2010 winters are believed to have been a factor, the homeowners and their engineers reported cracking starting before that, so it's not the only factor. God, it's absolutely terrifying sounding. What are the types of situations that people are experiencing then? Obviously, you can picture it from from what you've been explaining there. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, we're not talking about a few hairline cracks that you fill in with polyfiller, paint over and move on. The impacted homeowners have multiple large cracks all over the walls. And for some, the damage has extended to their internal walls, which were built with the same type of blocks. And while it's obviously, you know, this doesn't look great, it's not the biggest concern for the homeowners. They're also being told their homes aren't safe. Now, I did a Zoom call recently with a group of people impacted by the issue. Here's Carl Murta on what he was told about his home. So I suppose I got an engineer out that time. The engineer come out and I always describe it as when I was looking at him, I seen his face going white when he was looking at my house. And he says, uh, he says, Carl, I don't want to alarm you, but I suppose by saying that I am alarming you, you need to take down that gable or you need to put a structure up against it because it's going to crush your conservatory. It's going to fall at any stage. He, he told me at the time there, was, there would be a vortex, a wind vortex, and it would, it would suck, suck the wall out. And just like, because it was so weak. I mean, uh, what, what, what's it like, Carl, to hear somebody say that about what you um, told your at, dream house? Yeah, well, I suppose at the, at the time, I went through a bad time, to be honest. Um, probably two or three years of crying, uh, hatred, angry, all that stuff, you know, which I'm sure everybody that's sitting here now knows all about it. Um <laughs> Listening to that, I'm thinking of the protest that we saw on the 15th of June and the amount of children that were there and how terrifying that must be for parents. I presume some people have had to move out of their homes, Michelle. Yeah, I have heard of a small number of examples of people who just had to move out. Uh, and, you know, we're talking families with children, as you said. Some have been told they'll have to totally demolish and rebuild. But remember, we're in the middle of a housing crisis and many of the families put all the money that they had into these homes when they either built or bought them. They don't have the money to move elsewhere. Uh, and, you know, we know that there's a shortage of housing as it is. So even if they did, it would take time and money to find somewhere. And it's a cost, constant source of stress for these people. I mean, many say they can't sleep at night thinking about the house crumbling around them. One of the homeowners I spoke to recently, Valerie Smith, described trying to keep on top of the damage, but getting nowhere. Just for your own mental health, you like you cover the cracks, um, like you paint them and, and like maybe you get silicone put into them. Um, that's externally and internally. I, I uh, maybe about a year ago, I got a wall replastered, and um, it never dried. You can see a waterline even today on the bottom of the thing. So that says to me that the whole bottom of my house is saturated all the time. It's, it really is terrifying because, like, some of us are used to you know dealing with damp and things like this. This is a whole other level. Valerie talks there about, you know, kind of patchwork fixes. Is there a way to actually fix the houses? And if so, like, what is the cost of it? Yeah, well, this is where there's a bit of debate about exactly how 
the fix should be managed. Yes, you can fix it. The only real fix is to knock down and remove the affected walls and rebuild them. Now, some people have already had the outer leaf, so that's that outer external wall taken down and replaced. That's the cheapest option. But campaigners have argued that many of the homes will require full demolition and rebuild. That's obviously the most expensive option. Now, remember, it's not just the outer walls that were built with the defective blocks. If they're on the outside, they're on the inside as well. And some homeowners have already noticed cracking inside their homes now. They say the moisture in the outer leaf may have spread. And again, like Valerie, people are seeing damp. That indicates, you know, that those inner walls have moisture in them. So there's also a question about what happens if you replace that outer leaf and then, you know, another 10 years or so down the line, your internal walls start to show signs of deterioration. The government scheme covers a range from replacing the outer leaf to full demolition and rebuild. And campaigners and some of their engineers have argued that more extensive work should be done on all homes and that the outer leaf replacement probably won't be enough in any case in the long term. Yeah, you mentioned the government scheme there. That was one that was agreed in 2018. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the scheme came off the back of that 2017 expert panel report on defective concrete blocks that I've mentioned a few times. The scheme was announced in 2018. I remember talking to Eileen Doherty of the MICA Action Group after it was announced and how happy she was and, you know, relieved she sounded on the phone. She told me the news is amazing and she was grateful to the government acknowledging the need for such a scheme. And at that stage, the full details of it hadn't been announced. It wasn't until June last year in the middle of a pandemic that it opened for applications. So it has five options. Uh, these came from that expert report. They range from external leaf replacement to full demolition and rebuild. And it covers 90% of the costs associated, including an engineer's report, the remedial works uh, and inspection and certification after the works are done. There are limits, though. So the maximum approved cost for the outer leaf replacement is €55,000. The highest limit is 275000 That's for full demolition and rebuild. And then there are three other options in between in that range. So a one down from the most expensive is to demolish the inner and outer leaf uh, on, on a phased basis and rebuild the external walls and re-render. The limit on that is, is 220000 And obviously that took a lot of campaigning if it was only agreed in 2018, only announced last year. And we've been talking about people knowing about this for almost a decade. Yeah, I mean, this has been such a long drawn out process. The campaign actually started around 2010 when homeowners first started noticing that you know, this was really serious structural damage to their homes and lots of homeowners shared their stories. It did get a good bit of traction over the years, but it wasn't until five years later the government announced that an independent panel would be established to research the issues involved. So that report, which I've been referring to, was published another two years after that. And it is, in fairness, a really comprehensive report. It backs up what homeowners had been saying for years. It was a big win for them to get that report. And then a year later, the scheme was announced. Two years later, it opened for applications. And since it opened, the MICA Action Group has been raising issues with it, uh, barriers to getting into the scheme, the limits not covering enough of the costs and so on. They staged a number of local protests in Donegal and Mayo in April and May. And then last month, they brought the fight to Dublin. So in Dublin, we saw thousands of people in the city centre. A small group of the campaigners were able to meet with Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, on the day. I actually remember saying to some of the homeowners in the days after the protest, I couldn't believe how many people were there and also how engaged the readers were with the story. I mean, homeownership is such an important concept in Ireland, but I also think that the frustration with the overall housing crisis in the country has just boiled over now. I mean, housing was really the biggest issue pre-pandemic. And I think as people got sick of talking 
talking about COVID and also started to see that path out of the pandemic, the focus very much shifted onto housing again. So there's been a lot more pressure on the government in recent months to outline what they're going to do. And the MICA campaigners seem to have seized on that momentum. Uh, we did see a bit of a shift in the government's position following the protest. While they weren't directly committing to pumping more money into the scheme, there was definitely more of an acknowledgement that the scheme as is may not be working the way it needs to. But it has been intensely stressful for the homeowners who had to become campaigners overnight. Here's what Valerie Smith had to say about that. It's been very overwhelming having like the lead up to this, like the protests and everything. And I also feel that because we weren't listened to, it's put a, a extreme pressure on all the, the people who have the problem because we all had to like become campaigners and we're just people who do ordinary jobs. And like we had, then had to learn how to tweet and we were tweeting for our life. It wasn't like tweeting for fun. We would do a full day's work and then we'd start tweeting. It was so stressful because you knew if you weren't getting the message out, your story would never get anywhere. Yes, they have got the message out. Obviously, we're talking about it. Dara O'Brien obviously talked to them after the protest. What exact changes are the government looking at making to the scheme and will it be enough? Yeah, well, the very first stage in this application process requires an engineer's report as evidence of the damage and the presence of mica, and that costs around €5,000. I mean, this is the very beginning of the application process and that seems to be keeping a lot of people out this costs around 5,000 euro. Many of the homeowners have spoken to, they just say they can't afford that. And like I said, that's the very first step. So that's something that I, I think would be easy for the government to look at, you know, facilitating that entrance into the scheme a bit better. There are also some things that aren't covered, such as the cost of a planning application, which you need in order to rebuild your home. Even if it's the exact same design as the original, you still have to go through the whole process again. And the fact that the 10% of the cost is required from home, homeowners is a barrier as well particularly when you get into the homes on the higher end of the damage scale, that could be tens of thousands of euros for the homeowners. Uh, and campaigners have argued that the limits don't reflect how much it actually costs to get the work done. Again, particularly in the case of rebuilding the home completely. Now, the expert panel report put the estimated number in Donegal at 4,800 homes, the number in Mayo at 345 homes. Last month, Cabinet was told that just 433 people in Donegal had engaged with the scheme so far. Now, if you just think about that, that's a year on from the opening of the scheme, three years on from the announcement of the scheme and 11 years on from the beginning of the campaign. It's very unlikely that the homeowners are choosing not to apply to the scheme and just leave their homes to crumble around them. There has to be something else stopping them from getting in there and engaging with it. One couple I spoke to recently, uh, Josephine Kelly, you heard her at the start, and her husband, Sean, they said they built their house with loans from the credit union. They also took out a €30,000 loan to replace their outer leaf themselves a few years ago rather than wait around. And there are cracks appearing now in their internal walls. They can't afford the engineer's report needed to get into the scheme. They said it looks like they'll have to go back to the credit union again, possibly for the full amount for the works. And Valerie Smith, who we've also heard from, she said she was told if her home was demolished and rebuilt, even with a grant from the government, the cost for her would be around €70,000, which is huge. She just can't afford that. Yeah, it, the five thousand euro cash for an engineer's report, I think most people would would see as a huge barrier. I can imagine now listeners pulling their hair out and waiting for me to ask: Can anyone be held accountable for all of this? Yeah, I mean the short answer is that it's unlikely anybody will be held accountable. Um, something I have to point out here is that there were standards and regulations in place when these homes were built, both in terms of the construction products used and the actual building of the properties as well. I mean, it's not like there was a free for all. 
there were regulations in place that should have been followed. There were standards that should have been met. Home builders can take insurance policies to cover claims relating to structural issues. It's not clear whether the builders involved in these homes took them out. Uh, You'd also wonder whether an insurance company would pay out if the blocks are the problem, not the way the house was constructed. And many people built their own homes. So, you know, even that wouldn't be an option for them. One of the key recommendations from the expert panel report was about market surveillance and this need for more proactive enforcement, like inspections, testing of construction materials. On top of that, there was a recommendation to better resource the building authorities. Now, that was in 2017. Experts I've spoken to today say there is still little to stop this issue happening again. They say manufacturers essentially self-certify their own quality control standards and that independent checks are done, you know, really just on a reactive basis if there is a complaint. And even that doesn't happen that frequently. Under the new Brexit arrangements last year, Dublin City Council was appointed as the competent authority for carrying out market surveillance. And there's a new market surveillance unit responsible for nationwide market surveillance of construction products. Uh, That's the newly established National Building Control Office. The office uh, and the building authorities, they have the power to obtain access to premises, to examine, test, inspect the products and request documentation. And they can also request that the Minister for Housing prohibit or restrict the use of products and prosecute offences. Those are quite wide ranging, strong powers that they have. But what experts say is that, you know, it's only good if they're being used. Now, the housing department told me last week that the NBCO was given a budget last year of €500,000. Only 147000 was spent. The department said that was because it was in the early development setup phase. Its budget for this year is €565,000. So, you know, we'll be keeping an eye certainly on, on the type of work that that office is doing. I asked the council for figures uh, on inspections for last year. They never replied to me. That does seem like a very, very small budget for any office uh, to have, especially uh, when we're hoping to see construction uh, move a lot in the next months and years. I'm also kind of thinking about how busy the construction industry is right now and how difficult it is for particularly homeowners to get once off work done in their house. How long could this all possibly take for even if people can access the scheme for them to actually get their homes fixed? Yeah, it's first of all, not even clear exactly how many homeowners will need the scheme. The housing minister said recently it could be double the number of homes affected. And there are currently four other local authority areas other than Mayo and Donegal carrying out testing to make a submission to the department. So we could see more come out of the woodwork now. Um, The minister said the cost of the scheme could be higher than 1.5 billion. And in terms of timing, it's obviously going to take years. I mean, particularly in the demolish and rebuild cases, it takes time to build a house. Uh, And if everyone who's impacted accesses the scheme, there's going to be a huge demand for expert engineers and contractors who are familiar with this kind of remediation work. We only have so many of them. So unfortunately, the road ahead for the impacted families is probably still a long one now. I'm sure all our listeners today agree with me that your heart would go out to all the families affected. And I know from the protest that day that that's definitely how all of our readers felt. Michelle, thanks so much for coming in and explaining that. And Michelle talked there about how she had spoken to experts about whether this could happen again and unfortunately didn't get the optimistic answers that uh, we had hoped. That piece is up in the Good Information Project on the journal if you want to take a look. Thanks again. Thanks, Sinead. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Brian and Michelle for joining us again and to all of the homeowners who shared their stories. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. The Good Information Project is co-funded by Journal Media and a grant programme from the European Parliament. The European Parliament has no involvement in nor responsibility for the editorial content published by the project. Thank you and catch you next time. <laughs>